are listening to Awaken ADHD, a podcast where people share their ADHD stories, their life before and after diagnosis, their support, strategy, strengths and challenges. Hi, I'm Jade and I'll be your host. I'm a counsellor, an ADHD coach and a fellow ADHDer. So join me as we awaken ADHD. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Boomerang Country and we wish to acknowledge them as the traditional landowners. We recognise First Peoples of Australia as the original storytellers of this country and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'm here today with Amanda, fellow ADHDer and mother of two neurodivergent children. Amanda is a workplace wellbeing and neurodiversity advocate, a strength development coach and a change manager. So welcome, Amanda. Hello. Hello. Welcome. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, good. Good. Bit well, mental for mental day, but you know, all good. All right. So are all your executive functions online? That is the question. <laughs> About a third of them. <laughs> good, me too. <laughs> I've started with the cognitive aphasia at this time of night where I'm just miswording things, misnaming things. So we'll see how tonight goes. This will be fun. Well, at least you can name them. I just know that a third are working, what they're doing and what they're called, I'm not sure. <laughs> this is the, the evening version of ADHD. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All righty. Oh so do you want to share a little bit about when you kind of first uh, awakened to ADHD? Yeah, um, I think most of my life I realised I knew that something was different and I knew that I somehow was different. Um, And through my entire life I never, ever voiced that to anybody. Um, It was kind of weird that, you know, even my closest friends, even my husband, I didn't even, I didn't voice it. I just knew that things were a bit different and I wasn't getting it like the rest of the world seemed to get it. (laughs) Um, When they're different, is there... Is there anything you can pinpoint or it just felt different? It felt different. I I couldn't seem to relate to people how other people related to people. Um, I couldn't seem to not interrupt when other people, you know. Um, I used to work my butt off at school and study really hard to be a C average, even though I knew I had the brains. I just couldn't. I don't know. There's just a lot of little things that with the, um, ADHD lens and hindsight now makes sense but at the time so I'm probably articulating it a little bit better than I would have if someone had asked me when I was like 18. Oh of course no doubt. Yes but back to your question <laughs> um, my daughter in grade two had a wonderful awesome teacher who came up to us within the first week or two of grade two and went I don't usually say this this early but I don't think Poppy's getting things correctly. <laughs> um and she said it could be her hearing it could be I'm not sure she goes I'm giving her you know steps and processes and then you know she'll come back and keep asking and she just doesn't seem to be getting things so that started the whole journey of you know getting eyes tested hearing tested and the doctor finally put us in touch with a a specialist and uh she was diagnosed with ADHD wow what was that moment like for your family well at that time I was you know with the stereotypes of ADHD as only hyperactive little noisy boys. Um, I didn't even know anything about inattentive ADHD. She's a blend of 
inattentive and actually she's probably, she's got all three, um, which is quite common. But yeah, the inattentive impulsiveness is the uh, the strong two with her. Um, and so that just kicked off oh, a good 18 months of heavy duty research. I found it fascinating that that what I learned and it's just like what the brain does and, you know, all this stuff. Right. So you were doing this deep dive into what is ADHD. Yeah, yeah. Hyper, hyper-focus? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hyper-focus for about six months. Right. <laughs> um, I, it's all I talked about. You know, I did that true, you know, that you know this is my favorite topic I'm now going to talk about it forever to everyone whether you're interested or not (laughs) whether you care about it or not you're going to hear about it yes um and then yes more and more boxes started to tick and more and more I started to go oh 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 does I realize that it um represented me um more and more and um it wasn't a pleasant journey um I didn't like what I was realizing um because I was a few weeks I was this I was 44 at this stage maybe 45 so I wasn't enjoying the fact that maybe I was finding something that could explain my entire life yes as somebody that was diagnosed at 44 I know that exact feeling yes and I found it really hard so by the time I actually got to the courage to go to the doctor I was just a bubbling mess um, I wasn't coping. I was very close to which I now recognise as ADHD burnout. I remember I couldn't even I couldn't talk to my husband about it either, and I just used to write him these long emails because every time I tried to talk about it, I started crying. So I wasn't in a good space by the time I got diagnosed. But the diagnosis happened pretty quickly, and this was five years ago for me. So um, I got in pretty quick to what I to a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and you know it wasn't the horrible amounts of waiting that people have right now and so yeah went to see a psychiatrist and we chatted for a bit and he was very much of the opinion that okay your daughter's got it what you're describing I'm pretty sure you've got it he said we can do some expensive tests and stuff but by the looks of it it looks like you're highly anxious as well and no one I I had underlying anxiety my entire life I just didn't realize well retrospectively when you think about that anxiety yeah through your life how did Mm. how did that play out what did that look like for you or feel Um, like it was mainly social anxiety but I think I had um it was also low-line generalized anxiety Mm -hmm. it actually helped me because it kept me on time um I was so worried about being late or not being prepared or I used to worry about everything that I actually the one apart from the fact that it made me feel awful all the time the one benefit was that it kept me on schedule whereas now post-diagnosis and with medication time blindness is my enemy and I am late for everything um the whole oh I've got to leave in 10 minutes oh I can do these five things in front of me oh (laughs) it's that the and the inability to um understand how long things will take to do um and I just think if I just do it fast (laughs) uh I'm now late for most things whereas you could be guaranteed I would be like the first person at a party or the first person into a meeting or that you know and now I'm regularly going oops sorry guys I'm late again (laughs) and I and I wonder whether also the you know there's less anxiety about it now and perhaps Mm. um 
more self-worth, less self-doubt. So it's okay to not be on time for you. I wonder if that's true. Some of it is that, but when it's in a professional environment, oh, yeah, I'd prefer if it didn't happen. That's not great. Um, that was just one of the ADHD traits that I've noticed are a lot stronger now that I'm aware of them um, and now that I am more comfortable in my skin and just kind of letting it flow. Letting it flow. I love that. Yeah. And I wonder if we could just go back to that, that diagnosis and that, mm. that moment in your life. It sounds like it was it was pretty tough. Did yeah. you go through, you know, a grief process? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I describe that day as the best day of my life slash the most unsettling day of my life. Um, yeah. Actually, I should qualify that. One of the best days of my life, of course. Children, weddings, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In case my family listens to this. Lovely family, yes. <laughs> yes, love them. I was at the stage where the psychiatrist said, look, we can try medication. I went, yes, <laughs> just just give me something because I just I need to know and I need to get rid of this feeling. And and I was one of the very lucky ones, I think, that from day one, the first medication I tried has worked for me really well. That's brilliant. My life literally transformed. There was a bit of the what even the grief and I did see a psychologist for a few sessions who was amazing and she just helped me um clarify and accept that yes it is adhd because my brain i was just like no it can't be no no no, it can't be the denial yeah the imposter yeah all of it (laughs) and a husband who went but i've been with you for 20 years i I would know i went no you wouldn't because masking um is you know my was my strength at the time Right. Um, well, it is a superpower so, that, um, that masking, not always helpful, awful but it, yes. it is an awful superpower. Yeah. What, are, what are some of the ways that you masked or what was the, some of the narrative for you underneath that mask? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm still confused by it all because I think I masked for so long that I'm now confused with what's masking and what's me. Um, and I'm still working through that. Um that was a heavy one to try and, I guess, unpick and just I, I couldn't easily shrug it off and I don't think I have. But for me it was pretending that everything was normal where, whereas internally um, my brain was going 50,000 miles a minute, um, uh, the anxiety, just the physical response to certain things and just it was pretending, going to meetings, pretending I was organised when, <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> I became very good at just kind of not lying but just uh, pretending I'd done more than I had. It came across as me liking going to bars and stuff when in reality I was the first one to leave because I found them too noisy and boring and just, you know, just the sensory stuff but also just not my thing but I kept going because all my friends did. Just pretending that, you know, the um, environment you're comfortable in an environment when you're not right it sounds like you were working incredibly hard oh yeah yes that yes it sounds like exhausting work yes. to be you know enjoying an environment that is too stimulating for you you know getting that yeah. sensory burnout but not really understanding what it is so it just no. translates into a lot of anxiety yeah yeah and at midnight when everyone else is ready to kick on to the next place I'd be like oh my god I'm knackered I'm going to bed (laughs) 
exhausting. I can't do this anymore. I don't know what, what do you people, what do you want? <laughs> and, and a lot of mimicking. Um, I didn't tell a lot of people what my passions were and what I liked because I don't know, I don't think I liked being put on the spot and what have they thought what I liked was crap. So I just tended to like what people around me liked and, you know, it was just a lot of doing what I could to fit in type stuff. Even from a little little Amanda? Definitely. I was more of a follower than a leader. Um, I always found it easier and more comfortable to hang out with the boys because there was, you know, no social nuances or emotional stuff that I missed because they're just, they, especially at primary school and high school, what you see is what you get. <laughs> you know, there's no games. There's no, you know, I just found it. And I was quite sporty, so I just found it so much easier just to kind of go with that. I did the wonderful thing of the, my first three months of taking medication. I, t- I um, wrote a diary. Oh, how fabulous. My mind was being blown every single day with <laughs> the mm-hmm. things that I was seeing and experiencing and just so I was just, I wrote it all down and actually it was really useful because it helped. I shared it with my dad and mum and um, my husband Guy. I, so just so they could kind of see because being all internal, you know, they just don't, it's hard for them to get it. So I shared that with them and they found it fascinating. I was like, what? You used to live like this? <laughs> I, I think when I when I shared the kind of little thesis I wrote after I was diagnosed and I shared it with my husband, I don't know, mm. 4,000 words or something, right. <laughs> and, and he, he just, I remember him just walking into my bedroom with this, just this look in between shock and empathy and yeah. I think he said something like, I, I think I understand you for the first time ever. I had no idea. It took me a year of analysis and everything to then open up and be open with it with people. But once I started, I just went full. And now I just, you know, I just started to own it and I share it. And I thought, God, both my kids are neurodiversive. They think I'm hiding it. That's not a good sign. And older friends and some relatives are like, really? But isn't everyone like that? You know, those those comments yeah (laughs) there are and I and I have had those comments from many people you know even my husband at time and I think oh yes yes it's true especially we do live in a really busy chaotic world where Mm. many of the experiences that a neurodivergent person has lots of other people will get them from time to time too they just don't yeah. have them in a constant way throughout their entire life. Yes, where it impacts your quality. Yes. Exactly. And that's how I explain it to people. Mm. And if they changed a few things and took a few things out of their schedule and their life would go back to the way it was before. Yeah. They can make these really simple adjustments yeah. to it's not just a simple adjustment for us. Oh, just get a good diary. Yeah, you, you really need to just schedule that. Oh, yeah. And if you try to plan, huh? I have 70 planners in my drawer. <laughs> yeah, I try yeah. planners. I change the planner every six months. Otherwise, because mm-hmm. um, literally uh, my to-do list and planner, I will change it every six months. I'll go from hard copy to different online ones or whatever because uh-huh. um, my brain starts to get bored of what I've got and I've stopped looking at it. It's not a conscious choice. I just stop looking at my to-do list and then I go, right, it's now time for a new one. <laughs> the ADHD coaching course I did, they had a fabulous term called resparkalize. 
All right. And I love it. It's like yes. get that planner and just change the color, oh. change, you know, stickers yeah. all over it. Whatever it is, I need yeah. to also resparkleize everything. I'll have a routine. It'll only work for a few weeks yep. or a few months. Change yep. the routine. Yeah. I like that resparkleize. Resparkleize. <laughs> just, just add glitter. <laughs> just add glitter to everything. But then you'll get bored of the glitter, so then you need to yeah, yeah. go to pastels or something. Yeah, yes. Oh, right. definitely. Jeez. So what difference did, you know, this or both of the diagnoses, yourself and your daughter, make in your family's mm. life? My daughter's diagnosis, it took some people a while to kind of get their head around it. For us, medication works. So I'm, I'm quite open about that with people because uh, that is a, you know, it's a personal choice. And when we started the medication with Poppy um, and we were going back to the pediatrician one month later and I said, okay, well, you need a question or two for him, okay, because this is about you and blah, blah, blah. And her first question was, can you give me a tablet that lasts all day and doesn't stop at midday? And I wow. went, oh, okay, we've done the right thing. <laughs> um, and she just, the difference it made to her in that first year or so, she's now 13 and we've got a whole bunch of other things going on, of course. Right, because, girl. of course, we understand that, um, you know, the impact that, puberty and menopause oh my gosh. and you know, hormones yes, in a hormones. woman. So you put um, the hormones with a typical 13-year-old and then you add in the chemical imbalance because of the ADHD and it's just the world's a joy. <laughs> Every day the world's a joy. <laughs> Sounds interesting. You know, I, I have a lot, of, um, a lot of clients that reflect that when they're uh, premenstrual that mm. their ADHD medication doesn't seem effective and I have been trying to catalogue this myself. No, definitely, definitely. Oh, yes, yes. I um, I was one of those people that um, had evil PMT. Like I was, I just turned nasty. Well, and the PNDD is quite, quite common. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And I and I also realized now that I was um, my dopamine was just being my dopamine was dropping further than normal and I was actively looking for arguments to get that dopamine back up. Oh, and I yes. would just think of the most weirdest thing to get upset about and I would gung ho it. <laughs> oh my god. So sometimes there wasn't even a reason and but it now all makes so much sense. I went, I know. <laughs> But oh, now I goodness. know I, I, I try obviously do my best to avoid that. You know, if I think it's if I think I'm looking for, you know, a wandering around the house looking for someone to argue with, I go, okay, let's find another way to get your dopamine. Let's Yeah. I need <laughs> to go for away. a run. Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, so we've got the the hormones impacting. Mm. So it's quite um it's a lot in the house at the moment. It's a lot. It's a lot in the house now. But back to Poppy in grade two. <laughs> yeah, no, it was um, her, the teacher she had was amazing. We were very open with Poppy about it and what it meant, um, even though, you know, it took her a few years to go, and what does ADHD stand for again? <laughs> um, of course. So, yeah, no, it, it has helped her um, and having her teachers understand, although the level of understanding is, you know, dependent on the teacher, of course, um, and their experience and knowledge. Um, but it helped us respond to her better because we now knew where the emotional upsets were coming from and why that some of the behaviour was happening and all this kind of stuff. 
<laughs> it wasn't her just trying to piss us off. Um, it was her unique, awesome brain, and we just had to try and help her work it all out. So it was definitely labels. I love labels. I know that's a contentious thing for some people, but but if it works, it works. And yes. and I think that point really, really is so important. Mm. That here you have a a child, like if you imagine us when we were little, you know, 70s, yeah. 80s, oh yes. the, the story and the narrative was you're lazy, you're stupid, yeah. you, why can't you do that? Just do mm. this, follow instruction, why can't you listen? And so there, there was a lot of shaming and you as a parent had that opportunity to change the way you approached her, to to understand that narrative because it's yeah. very easy to go, why won't you just listen? Oh, gosh, yeah. We still do that, but, you know. <laughs> you still do that and then you're like, all right, okay. But you can come back and it's not yes. going to be part of her yep. her self-esteem and her self-worth. Mm. And we've made it very clear to both the kids now that you have amazing, awesome brains and they sometimes look at me and go, uh-huh. Um, but I always say, look, it's not an excuse for behaviour. You acknowledge it contributes your behaviour, but you never, ever use your neurodiversity um, as an excuse for having done something bad and assume that's enough. There's always personal agency. Yeah, but also they can they can learn. Like they can start to recognise, okay, how did I feel before that happened and can I – and it's a very slow process and there's no magic wand. If you can get some of that thinking in early, then by the time they're teenagers and everything else, they're – you know, hopefully a bit more in tune with it all. They get to choose, actively choose, what kind of life they want that is going to be working with them rather than against Mm. them. I think that's a really powerful thing. There are certain ways of being in the world and certain careers and certain environments that are destructive for us and harmful and not great. And to be kind to themselves when they do have a major outburst or they've done something that they regret. It's just like, you know, it's okay. It's going to happen. You're never going to be able to fit into whatever normal, the normal definition is. But they don't have to sink into the shame spiral like we do. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I, I do the whole strengths thing because it's like, oh my God. You tell your kid they've got something which has deficit and disorder in the name. It's just like, really? <laughs> it is a struggle to frame it in a way that feels affirming without dismissing or diminishing the struggles yeah but there mm. there are there are strengths in there as well and so now you're you're speaking about your son but i don't think we have yes. the the story there when did that piece of the puzzle fall into place we knew there was stuff going on in his brain as well we just weren't 100 percent sure what it was pre-covid so this is probably about four years ago he we put him through some of the assessments and stuff and he came back with social anxiety disorder and generalised anxiety disorder. He's been carrying around some amazing amounts of anxiety from a very young age because as he got older, his little quirks stood out more. What kind of quirks are we are you noticing? It's just his behaviour and how he would react to things which would be a bit different to other people and some of the things he does now, which is quite obvious, stimming and stuff like that. His anxiety and his real, real dislike of social activities and team sports and anything where um, he's very much prefers to do things on his own. Um, when, when every single one of his friends and stuff would, you know, be in team sports and whatever. And 
he would try them, but the amount of anxiety it caused him to try being a team sport because yeah. um, he hated standing out and he hated you know people looking at him or talking about him. So that all became a bit more obvious. And then um, he'd been seeing the same psych on and off for a few years and she's just lovely. We redid some of the assessments and, yes, came back with the inattentive ADHD very strongly, which right. we knew about, uh, a level one autism diagnosis as well. So. Okay. That was a whole new one I now need to start reading about. <laughs> ah, hyperfocus, here we come. Yes, a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of people don't realise that. <laughs> that it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time. What are yeah. some of the ways in which you, you know, you find that kind of peace or you get to utilise some of your strengths? Or I live on an acre and a half and we have up in um, country Victoria and we have lots of animals and veggie patches. And for me, um, one of my strengths, our character strengths, is an appreciation of nature and beauty. And I just need to walk out the back door and see the, the autumn light on the hills and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's just getting out into my space on my own and just um filling my spoons back up we've just been learning about spoons theory so um filling up my spoons again you're just painting such a picture that I, yeah. I can sense myself <laughs> there that is such a uh, you know I'm very aligned with that oh, way just love it absolutely love it yeah I, I live by the water as you know so yes mine yes. I've been in the water a lot and for it's autumn now and I'm still yeah. swimming regularly oh, wow. <laughs> and that you know that just that peace and just being yes. out in the quiet I just want to go alone yeah you've got to find your own your own things um and I've got to help the kids find their own things too because um they get me started on social media and stuff but it's about helping them find you know what works for them and what helps them regulate and all that kind of stuff uh, as well so that's an evolving I'm evolving. And I think that's a whole new episode that we can oh my goodness. <laughs> talk about, uh, you know, stepping into those teen years and, and how that changes. I need to listen to somebody else talk about it and get some notes. <laughs> so we'll listen, we'll apply, we'll come back, we'll chat. Does that sound good? <laughs> sounds good. That sounds yes. good. Yes. Is there anything else that you want to, you'd like to share or? Um, part of your journey because I know that we're yeah. going to talk again more we're going to have another episode with you not just yeah. about teens um yeah. about your about your business and about your yes. professional space yes. and and how yes. you're you're launching into that so yeah. you could say a few words to kind of lead in or tease into that I work with um, late in life diagnosed uh, ADHD usually women and I explain it as there's three steps. The first one is you highly suspect you have it. So you either seek a formal diagnosis or if you can't get that, then you move forward with the understanding that you probably do have it because if you've done enough reading and stuff, there's no harm in a little bit of self-diagnosis because sometimes a formal diagnosis is out of reach of some people. I agree, I agree. Yeah. And then once you have that diagnosis or that understanding that you're going to move forward, do all of the reading that you can and work out, you know, how does ADHD impact you? Where does it fit into your life? Look back, um, go through old school reports and just really find those examples of 
and those aha moments of where it was for you and where it sat for you and because everybody is unique and everybody's experience is unique so I think it's really important that you spend the time understanding where you fit into the the whole you know the different traits of ADHD and stuff so true so true oh it's essential I mean oh I still I mean I do a lot of reading and podcasts as well I mix it up between neurodivergent podcasts and my true crime podcasts and I still (laughs) you know I still learn things like the other day I was listening to something about um a big uh trait of ADHD supposedly is perfectionism and I was just like I look at the things around me and stuff I said no but then someone explained it in regards to it has to be the perfect time for you to do something and I went oh that makes a lot more sense so if I want to do Mm -hmm. something actually I need to do this first, get that done. Everything has to be right before I start the thing I really want to do. Time perfection, that I went, ah, that's, I can see that. It also makes you look back at your history and be and be kind to yourself. And it makes it also yes. validate a diagnosis, especially if you're a bit sceptical. Like I started going through some of my school reports and stuff, and especially the high school one. And I've actually got this one here because I recently used it in a post. And it was year nine, so I was at 14, computer studies. And I got an E, right? <laughs> and mm. the teacher actually wrote, the mark does not reflect her ability, only her lack of diligence. And from year nine to year 12, there were so many similar comments of if she just tried harder, if she didn't do so many mistakes. And blah, blah, blah. I just went, oh, my God, I'm just reading the stereotype here. This is just, yeah. <laughs> and it just, it helps. That understanding helps. It does definitely Uh, and the third one is once you're in that space where you understand how it impacts you and where it's sat in your life and where it sits with you and um it's time to flip that negative male driven medical narrative about deficits and disorders and actually find out your strengths because there's a very good chance if you've had undiagnosed adhd for most of your life those strengths which are there are deeply buried um, and there is lack of confidence and RSD and all these other things sitting mm. on top of them, pushing them down. Yeah. They haven't had a chance to thrive. It's an no, environment thing. No, So, you know, that's a, and I just love that part of it um, because every awesome, amazing uh, woman with ADHD has a unique brain and a unique story and, yeah, they deserve to thrive. They deserve to realise and recognize their strengths and their purpose and all that kind of stuff yes indeed that is so wonderful so Mm. wonderful Mm. and so how can people connect with you my little business is called thriving with neurodiversity um, and i am on uh, instagram and i have a website and I'm on LinkedIn um, as my name, Amanda Riley. Um, and I do post a lot about um, ADHD and strengths and neurodiversity and neurodivergent people and all this kind of stuff on LinkedIn because I find it's a, an amazing forum for some great discussions. Uh, well, it's been such a pleasure, always a pleasure talking yes. to you, Amanda. Thank, Thank you so you. much for, for sharing your story and and uh, going off on tangents with me yeah. and coming back again. <laughs> hoping there there were some good things (laughs) there was some gold some absolute gold i had a wonderful time talking with you so thank you i really enjoyed it and we're going to talk again soon we will we will thanks jay beautiful if you'd like to hear more fabulous stories like amanda's then 
jump on and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and reach out to me if you'd like to connect and share your story. Until next time. This podcast is not a licensed mental health provider. It represents the personal opinions and experiences of individuals. No content should be taken as professional advice or recommendation.